Hello, this is Kat. This is Phoebe. Welcome to Feminine Chaos. So Phoebe, I have to tell you, I have a confession to make. I accidentally started an internet controversy. Yeah, not on purpose, but it happened this past week. I tweeted about this article by David Zweig. It was a very interesting reported piece about this public health initiative in California during COVID. They ended up going after this church really hard. There was this one church in Santa Clara County, California, that uh, didn't want to stop gathering to worship. And the restrictions on churches at the time were really kind of weirdly draconian. Like you could go to a museum or go to a bar when you couldn't go to a church. But the thing that I thought was most interesting was that this government ban, um, it was very explicit. The rules for churches made it illegal to sing. Is that so? Okay, yeah, go on. <laughs> and so I tweeted about how I thought it was very dystopian to ban singing, you know, to make singing illegal. It's like a little bit footloose. It's also a little bit sci-fi dystopia. It kind of reminded me of a Philip K. Dick novel. And it turned out that this was a controversial thing to say, to uh, identify the illegality of human expression as being dystopian. I think possibly because um, I was saying it in the kind of like literary sci-fi future world sense and people thought that I was actually making some kind of political statement. But anyway, I ended up getting into a conversation about whether maybe it shouldn't be illegal to sing, but it should be illegal to sing certain songs. And the person I was talking to suggested that for public health reasons, hmm. John Bon Jovi songs specifically should be outlawed. And this sparked an idea for me, something I think is actually going to be great for your brand and ours. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to divorce your husband. Okay. But also keep his name. And then I need you to get remarried to John Bon Jovi so that you can be Phoebe Maltbovi Bon Jovi. Um, people often actually do think my husband's name is like Bon Jovi. This is a thing that happens. In, this is like, this is his lived experience you're talking about. So um, the singing ban, are you canceled? Should I not be doing a podcast with you? Should I be shunning you? Um, I think it's a little late for that. Oh, okay. But if you want to give it a try, you could shun me now extra hard and see if it takes. That's all right. I think we, we should just do our podcast. Let's let's do this podcast okay. um, because um, I, have a, I have a rant. It's not about song. No? It is about real estate. Oh, I thought maybe. So, yes. <laughs> would you say that the couple in question was living on a prayer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I would sing it from the rooftops. Uh, so I don't know why I look at the New York Times real estate section so much. Masochism. I'm not looking to purchase New York real estate, but... Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very compelling. And I mean, so like we are hoping to do something with our, like to add a second bathroom to this house that has one bathroom. And my goal has been to do this by the time our younger child can use a bathroom, which may well come and go and like, you know, yeah, we may still have this one bathroom. So I'm thinking a little bit about sort of renovation on this very sort of not um, glamorous, but yet necessary scale, right? So I'm reading about these people in um, Washington, D.C. who've bought this house. And like, it's always just whatever it is, it's always, you know, like unfathomably, you know, everything's so expensive. And the, there were these stools. How much were the stools? The these stools. The people in the Washington, D.C. people. I'm going to look up the stools. They're in the first photo. Because like there was a slideshow. Oh, I didn't even look at the slideshow. $3,300. Okay, so I'm in the slideshow. Do you think that's per stool? Oh, because it says, that's what I've been wanting to ask. So is it per stool or because here... Okay, so their their chaise is almost four thousand dollars. Their plinth marble side table is one thousand eight hundred ninety five dollars. Um, 
the, this is these are some sconces. These are um, the ta- dining table, the lamp. Okay, okay. Wait, where's the stools? Okay, the yo-yo counter stools, thirty-three hundred dollars. I'm gonna click on the link and we're gonna find out. Okay, it's a pair of stools, two stools. Two stools for thirty-three hundred. Are thirty-three hundred dollars? Wow. Two stools for the price of one. Two for the price of one. If the one costs thirty three hundred dollars, that's uh, how much those wow. two stools cost. Uh, that's that's a heavy. So <laughs> yes. Do you think, uh, if you ask, they would bring the price down. Like, would they soften the stools a little? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or maybe maybe just you want to sample only one of them for a stool sample. Stool sample. <laughs> All right, yours was better. Anyway, um, inspired by the <laughs> inspired by the timeless aesthetic of French modernist design, these counter stools from our exclusive Design Frère line are handmade in our Los Angeles atelier by our skilled artisans who assemble the IKEA themselves. No, just kidding. I added that part. Um, request more information or an invoice. No. Um, yeah. So there are these stools, right? And like, and then I just like I just kept reading or whatever, looking through the slideshow, which is a type of reading, um, and started to get very jealous of the living space of an eight-year-old, which is probably not healthy. But this eight-year-old has a room that um, is very nice, has like a large, large bed, and her own ensuite, I guess, looks like a bathroom, whose faucet is $1,030 in the bathroom sink now but then i saw this and thought that i don't actually know like what a faucet (laughs) should cost and that that seems like probably a lot of money but i don't know so i tweeted about this and people were like a faucet is actually negative a thousand dollars and people paid me to to take their faucet no just kidding but apparently apparently this is a lot for a faucet um which yeah i don't know i mean i i hope to one day have a faucet (laughs) And if I I do, I'll report back. If I ever buy a faucet, I'll report back. Right, right. I mean, I'm just trying to think, have I bought a faucet? No. I bought a shower head when we moved into our current home. But I'm also actually contemplating a bathroom renovation because um, I think, like you, we only have the one bathroom. We don't have children, but still. One bathroom, two people. I feel like there should be a toilet per adult. And so Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time on Facebook Marketplace looking to see if there are things that people are are discarding from fancy areas surrounding my town where I live. There's a lot of people who are like, I'm bored with my sink. It's been a year. I want a new sink. And so they put the (laughs) sink on Facebook Marketplace. And I've really been kind of agonizing over a sink that I love. And I've been looking at it and thinking, oh, but you know, can I justify this expensive? And that sink is $500. And now I feel like- And that's for the whole sink. Yeah, it comes with the faucet too. So, ooh, they throw like in the faucet. Deal. Yeah. How many stool? How many stools does this come with? <laughs> I should ask. Or, yeah. <laughs> is that only in the toilet? Sorry, um, that wasn't even funny. That was just <laughs> no, disgusting. It just um, took me a yeah. <laughs> no, it was funny, but it was also really gross. <laughs> I'm just picturing. Yeah. This is the thing about Facebook Marketplace. You can get a toilet on there, but it might come with poop in it. I am fascinated by the things that people are trying to sell on Facebook and so forth because like a lot of the times I see things that it's like you know that you can get the thing new for less than somebody selling it used. It'll be like a bunch of somebody's like used H&M clothing for like the price of 
you know, new, not H&M clothing. And you wonder, is there something special? Like, is their sweat very valuable and they haven't told you? Or I don't know. I don't know. At the same time, I'm sure they have their reasons. But IKEA um, stuff is often marked so are up you... a lot on Facebook Marketplace. Sorry? I guess because it gets discontinued and people are like, yes. no, this is a vintage Billy bookcase. You can't get this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had always assumed that it was just because it's already assembled and like in your area. So maybe it's like it saves, especially like in cities, it saves you a trip to Ikea. Maybe. Is that it? That could be part of it. I have no I idea. I mean, but yeah, I wouldn't think that outside of like a city center, that would be um, a big thing. But you know who makes their own furniture? Maybe or maybe not. A trad wife. Ooh, good segue. Da, 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 da. Okay, thank you. Thank you for saying that, even though it's not true. Um, So a trad wife, I have been racking my brain to figure out what a trad wife is because there was this amazing interview that we will put the link to in the show notes uh, that Kara Kennedy did in The Spectator with Estee Williams, who is a 24-year-old da, 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 trad wife. She's a trad wife influencer on TikTok. I have seen like stills of these videos. I have not actually watched it. I assume it, that she, you know, that it's a, there's motion and she probably like moves in them because they're videos. Basically, she is a young woman who dropped out of college to be a stay-at-home wife. And that is what she does. And the questions that um, Kara Kennedy brings up and that I think are probably on the minds of those who learn about such a person are sort of like <laughs> what what are you like what is this kind of <laughs> which I think is like a very it, that sounds a little bit ridiculous but you know it's not uncommon for 24 year olds to be you know unemployed underemployed figuring things out whatever and to live with their partner at that time and maybe their partner knows what they're doing but they don't and that's not really a thing but then suddenly when this woman who's you know, got a little less going on than her husband is making his sandwiches. Um, she is a trad wife. What is a trad wife? I still don't feel like I entirely understand. Um, Kat, do you understand what a trad wife is? Well, I thought I did, but now I have anxiety about it. What if I say and I'm wrong? Well, you wouldn't have these concerns if you were a trad wife, because then you would just be, um, you might be posting, but you would not be doing so for money, apparently. Right, right. Um, I was going to say, yeah. I have a friend whose name is trad. And so technically, I would say his wife is a trad wife, but but uh, <laughs> it's actually true. But um, I always thought, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but that the trad wife is both, it's not just enough to be like a stay-at-home wife. It's not enough to be influencing about it. There's also an element of sort of like cultural backlash and maybe a religious element as well, where you're pushing back against the perceived excesses and decadence of, you know, society as it is now, like liberal society, specifically, where women work outside the home. And this is supposed to be some kind of answer to that, where um, it's sort of like, take that feminists. Is that is that about it? Yes, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think that the money aspect is key. And as we will get to, I think explains why certain religious traditions do and do not fit with this whole thing. So I think a trad wife, as best as I can tell, yes, is very much about that the woman is financially dependent on the man and that this dependency is part and parcel of her serving him. And that's the whole thing. And rather than being, you know, like sort of quite unlike the people who will be posting about how proud they are of their 50-50 
you know, task divided marriages and how they're good feminists because they married men who do, you know, at least 50% of the childcare and 50%, whatever. A trad wife is like, no, no, no. I do all the woman stuff. I do all the woman tasks and that's wonderful. And that's how I do things. Although in this interview, Estee Williams is very sort of like, um, almost over the top, non judgmental. And I almost wonder how much of that comes of being 24 and not wanting to say the wrong thing in an interview. Cause she's, you know, there's a lot of this kind of like, I'm not judging anybody else. I'm not telling anybody what to do. It's like you're an influencer. You kind of are telling people what to do. It's kind of how influencering, ah, influencering, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> maybe when I'm a little older, when I'm no longer 24, I will be more articulate. But um, until just then, under the influence is all. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just because. Uh, obviously, like the the money part seems really key, and I think seems to be what's throwing a lot of people off here because, like, she's she's not staying at home with children. There are no children. There may be one day children. There are not currently children. What is she doing during the day that is preventing her from working? Well, nothing, and that's very clear because, like, she says that her husband, I is he he's an electrician. Am I remembering this right? Anyway, he eats lunch in his truck and she makes him a sandwich and he has a sandwich and some potato chips. And it's like, how long is it possibly going to take to make this for him? You know? And she like has a whole day basically. And clearly what she's doing is posting. Right. And like, that's just, that's the thing she's doing. She's making herself look a certain way, um, which is like Marilyn Monroe for some reason. Um, Is she cleaning the house? Is Marilyn Monroe? Is it like a performance? Something like that. I mean, it's obviously like a kind of, you know, like fetishy thing, but she's very much denying that it's fetishy and is saying that it's not all a sex thing. This isn't being being a sexual submissive. No, no, she's religious of some, I guess, sort of Christianity. And um, she is like newly religious. And I think that's another key part of this is that it the trad wife is somebody from a part of, I think, okay, this is my understanding and maybe I'm just projecting something onto this, is somebody who's like, who has opted against the modern world and somebody from a world where the assumption was that they were going to like, you know, work. (laughs) And it's not that she makes less money than her husband. She doesn't work at all. That's the whole point. You know what I mean? It's not like that there's some subtle power imbalance to do with money. This is like, that's the thing. And her husband, when they first met, she says in this interview, said that that's, this was what he wanted. He wanted a, a stay-at-home wife. And I doubt that's very common. And I would imagine that this is, in fact, not because of anything to do with, like, gender roles and just simply, like, the economy is not, it doesn't really support this these days, as I feel has been rather widely discussed. Yes, um, it's interesting, you know, to yeah. consider what would lead a man to want a stay-at-home wife. Obviously, there's, like... I want someone whose job it is to kind of keep the house that I live in and to make it nice and to make it a home. And I understand that. But I don't know. I wonder, too, if there's like this sense of adherence to gender roles that's really more about his role than it is about hers. Like if your wife is a stay at home wife, then you de facto are like the big swinging Mm. dick breadwinner. Yeah. You're the (laughs) provider. And I'm sure it makes you feel quite secure in your masculinity if you are that. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. I think um, I doubt that it's that uncommon for men to want a woman to do everything around the house. I think what's not so common is for a man to say that he doesn't want any additional income. And I think where this becomes really obvious is like once people have children and the, the fact that she doesn't comes up in this interview not as in like why do you 
24 year old not yet have children because even in a kind of traditionalist world that's not so strange that somebody 24 wouldn't but she has these kind of snarky things to say about like the stay-at-home moms and their sweats you know and because I guess they're snarky about her because it seems like a lot of what she's doing with this time she has is making herself look really nice every day and they're there's this whole set of women who don't go out to work who also don't look like Marilyn Monroe because they are chasing after, you know, two-year-olds or whatever. So um, that was, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the, that was really the mystery sort of like what she's doing during the day. And I think, but I think the answer is clearly the posting, like she is an influencer, but then there, you get this whole thing of like, can you be an influencer for modesty, for traditionalism? Like if you're, job is that you post you know like that's the tension here isn't it I wonder I mean ugh. we're about to stumble into is a question about the kind of philosophical nature of posting what are you doing when you post are we getting philosophical already I thought the philosophical part was only later in this but let's stick to the question of what does it mean to post <laughs> what is a post <laughs> what is a poster <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of stuck on this question of like, and I almost jumped in earlier when you said that um, an influencer is sort of de facto telling people how to live. I'm not sure that's true. I think that an influencer is living and demonstrating like a certain mode of living with the understanding that people will want to emulate her, but that she is not herself saying you have to. Like if you don't want to live like that, then you're not her audience. You are off looking at a different influencer. Sure. But I just mean like the fact that it's being public online about your family life, your body, put, putting selfies online, like that doesn't seem very sort of, if, if your whole point is that you're serving your husband and looking a certain way and doing certain things for your husband, the minute you have this other audience, by definition, isn't it something else? I guess that's a really... That's paradoxical. It is. And I'm sure that she spends all day long in a state of extremely uncomfortable cognitive dissonance about this entire thing. <laughs> I would think so. Well, that's what. So there's the answer of what she's doing during the day. <laughs> Just battling her own intellect, her own id. She's like, oh, my God, I'm at war. But um, I think the other thing, too, is that sort of the way that if you have kids, like doing things for your kids or trying to keep a house in conjunction with keeping kids, which I'm now making sound like pets or houseplants. Sorry about that. <laughs> but it's like everything takes longer. Everything is more involved. You have to factor in the existence of the kid. And I think that maybe there's a little bit of an analogy to the posting thing where it's like whatever she's doing all day, she can't just do it. She has to be constructing content around it. And that is obviously like a type of work it's something more than just being being at home and just being there's an extra layer on top of it oh sure for sure I guess yeah I mean there are a lot of women who have who are like trad wife types with kids who do the housework the posting and the and post about the kids and I guess apparently this is some whole part of the internet I'm not aware of very well, but I have seen people complain about it, like the momfluencer part of the internet. But um, yeah, I think what what I find kind of interesting about trad wives is 
not so much about them, but how they kind of represent this fear on behalf of like a lot of more sort of liberal women that like, oh my God, what if I'm a trad wife? Is this me? What I'm not. And like the women really insisting that they're not a housewife. The worst thing that they could be called would be a housewife would be the biggest insult possible. And yet we do live in a society where, you know, you often have in couples, a man paid more than the woman things fall as they do where, you know, that might mean that the woman is more available to do childcare or whatever, you know, Whenever things fall in a more traditional way in a household, I think there are these anxieties of like, oh, no, does this mean I'm a trad wife now? You know, and I think the trad wife being somebody who just leans into that, it's almost like the bimbo, right? You know, it's this sort of reclaiming the thing that um, there's this great fear among a lot of sort of more liberal but normie women that they might be that. And this is, I think, the reason they get people so that they cause such angst is like this fear, like, oh, no, am I a trad wife if? you know, like, if I take my child to more doctor's appointments than my spouse does, my trad wife. I now, love the idea you know? that a trad wife is something you can like accidentally stumble into becoming. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because because they're, well, I think it is, though, in a way, like, I, I think people do sort of find themselves sometimes in more traditional roles than they would have thought. And you get a lot of um, hand wringing essays from women in that situation. So yeah, maybe that's why there's so much I mean, I think the there's also the obvious like hot 24 year old blonde woman with large breasts posts that she's whisking something or whatever to the internet and people click on it which is another aspect yeah yeah if it's hot blonde Um, and has large breasts it can be doing anything and people will click on it exactly exactly um but what if it's okay bear bear with me here another transition okay you ready what if it's hot what if it's hot brunette and has large breasts there now so i wrote about this uh, trad wife concept for uh, my work for the Canadian. You really Jewish missed an opportunity um, to say and a large nose, just leaning into the anti-Semitism. Oh, but I think the problem oh, is that I was picturing yeah. a very specific woman who's, if you think large, and that woman, her nose is is unremarkable. Because the question is, whether the Jewish other... trad wives? <laughs> yes, yes, and <laughs> I think I think if you're talking about um, somebody who's a trad wife whose videos people of the man variety probably click on for other reasons um so like i I thought about this because i thought okay i'm gonna have to have a jewish angle for this but i would i also just like genuinely was wondering like are there jewish trad wives so i immediately thought well there's abby shapiro of course you know ben shapiro's sister who has a youtube channel or instagram or whatever maybe both um classically abby where she influences um about being traditional and she's a wife <laughs> and she's Jewish. So I Googled Jewish trad wife and like, that's literally the only thing that comes up. So I thought, okay, are there any others? Like, is this actually even possible? And I have never gotten like, people got really, really interested in this. And I got a lot of like emails, DMs, whatever, you know, replies, people very interested in this. But one thing that kept sort of coming up is that like, is the this really like this financial aspect where a very in in orthodox jewish circles um it's not unheard of for a man to be like studying talmud something okay i'm gonna have have i'm gonna need all of my like details corrected on different podcasts i'm gonna be doing about this but anyway yes um where he's like studying religion during the day and his wife has some job in the secular world where she actually earns money and that's how they live 
right? This is like not, as I understand it, uncommon. So you don't have this thing of women giving up paid work to support a man in the really traditional parts of the Jewish world. So you could have, you know, a very traditionalist Jewish woman who's sort of like politically conservative, who does like this Estee Williams does, but would it be in the name of like Jewish traditionalism? Probably not. Like, I don't think there is the same thing. Also, like to be that kind of like overtly sexy, I think would be probably like you would probably just be kicked out of the traditionalist community. And and as I learned um, reading about this a little, like there are women who have not even been like sexy online. They've just been online and they are like in trouble in the Orthodox community for like having an Instagram. So yeah, so I, I guess I don't know. And like the only other example I could think of for a Jewish trad wife, um, I, I put on, on Twitter something like besides myself, and I hope people knew it was a joke. I'm constantly wondering whether you have to put it's a joke, it's a joke, it's a joke, but whatever. I, I don't think anybody even saw it or cared. Um, but I was thinking of Ivanka Trump because she has this kind of, among others, influencer role. She's definitely an observant Jew. Is she a trad wife? Well, obviously she's not, you know, <laughs> she's not exactly like staying at home and, you know, like raising whatever farm animals or whatever, you know, she's not doing that, but like, she's, you know, she's kind of traditionalist, at least in certain respects and influencer-ish and Jewish. So that's all I could think of. And that was kind of, but, but do you know, do you have any other thoughts I'm on trad I'm fascinated by the idea that you embarked on this hunt for the Jewish trad wife and stumbled into a community of like Jewish trad wife conspiracy theorists or fellow hunters. I'm just picturing you receiving emails with like blurry foot, br- blurry photos like that Bigfoot video where people are like, I think I saw one. <laughs> this is just a picture of bushes, but she was there. <laughs> well, I did, I did have this where some people, some people did reply like, of course there are, of course there are Jewish trad wives, but like with no examples. And I was like, okay, clearly I don't know who you're talking about. So you're gonna have to tell me or I'm not just going to take your word for it. Like, I, and then, yeah. So I, some people did come through with links, but without a link of like, okay, like this is just, you know, you're just calling right, me an idiot right. for no reason, which is maybe they're yeah, afraid. Not not my favorite type of online interaction. You think yeah. so? You say the name of a Jewish trad wife, and she appears behind you in the mirror like the Candyman, and that's the end of you. <laughs> well, that would be the only that would be the only generous explanation. But yeah, so then I'm thinking, um, can we trans? Oh yeah, we're going to transition over to something else. Ready? Ready for a really smooth transition? Which, like all smooth transitions, is in- is introduced by me saying, "Ready for a transition." Who do you know who isn't a trad wife, but who is Jewish? Apparently, I learned mm. when googling this. Um. Um, <laughs> Agnes Callard, Callard. I don't know. Agnes Callard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Give her all of the elan, the flourish. I think so. I think she needs that. She's I think certainly she certainly given it to herself. So there's we this about Agnes rap- on the podcast. Yeah. At one yes, point. yes, we did. You yes. remembered this. You Agnes remember Collard. this. What did Agnes do? She is the author. I'll have to go back and figure out when we talked about this. I don't even know if it was a premium or public episode, but she is the author of a viral tweet about how every year she throws away her children's Halloween candy. And this one year, this past year, she didn't do it. And her daughter was delighted. And the punchline was not that she had decided to stop doing this bizarre and needlessly cruel thing but that she had just forgot 
<laughs> she forgot to throw away the Halloween candy. Well, she's, yeah, so we've met her before, and it's apparently very sophisticated when she does something like this because she's a philosopher, right? So if you thought that was some good material. That's really a kind of a nice setup to have. You're a philosopher. Everything you do suddenly has this kind of gloss of seriousness. Oh, I'm doing this because of philosophy. I'm going to start this. I'm going to become a philosopher. And then everything I do from then on is going to be philosophy. My husband's going to be banging on the door of the bathroom. Like, what are you doing in there? And I'll say, philosophy, (laughs) philosophizing. (laughs) This is making me think of something I watched in a TV show that where somebody was like, has become a sperm donor and his family's trying to get into the bathroom and they're, he's like, stop, I'm working. (laughs) And yeah, anyway, it's really funny. It's like, it comes at the end of an episode and it's like, you need the whole plot to kind of get it, but you also don't um, need the whole plot to get it. But yeah, um, she's basically the point of this article, which I have not read as closely as maybe I will one day, but is that she was married, has two children, and the article's by Rachel Aviv um, in the New Yorker, Agnes Callard's Marriage of the Minds, okay? So she basically, like, she dumps her husband in favor of a grad student who she meets, and they're pictured looking kind of cuddled up together. Um, I'm going to linger for a moment on this photograph. Oh, yes. Let's do that. Let's do that. It is really, it is really something. She's... (laughs) Like leaning up against, so she, her face is fully lit in this photograph. She is pressed up against the chest of her, I assume, current husband, uh, who is seen in profile. It's like he's barely there. He is literally fading into the background of That's this right. picture. I just, I mean. But his hair is well lit. Extremely I feel like his hair being well lit is kind of key because he has these, these locks, these luscious locks of hair that are part of his role as the younger man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, he's got a sort of like Adonis. Is that how you say it? I think so. Yeah, that Adonis, is. Like- yeah, I mean, so she's interesting in a lot of ways. Um, the piece is basically that she's Like anybody who, you know, (laughs) is kind of like hopping around with whoever they feel like in and out of bed and, you know, not caring that they have children and doing this anyway, for her, it's different. She has very good reasons for doing this, but because she happens to be a philosopher and not a rando, it's all about Aristotle and so forth, right? Like that's kind of the gist of this article is that Socrates, Socrates, actually. Socrates. Yeah, she's a she is the embodiment of Socrates. It's her husband, the new one, that is into Aristotle. Oh, right. Very right, important right. not to uh, misphilosophize. Yes. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And basically, like she treats these men in her life clearly rather poorly. But it's all really, you know, um, and her children. Don't forget the children. Um, you know, are kind of a bit like an afterthought in all of this, maybe. And. You know, like, but it's special because she's a philosopher and she's doing it for very important philosophical reasons. It's not that just that she's horny and doing what she feels like. Um, and I guess the twist, well, there are a few twists, right? So one is that this is a woman doing this, not a man, right? Like nobody would remark if it were a man or conversely, people would remark, but to condemn it in a very sort of easy yes. condemnation, right? So those are the I two options. I think the latter. Uh, these yes. days, yeah, definitely. Um, the the case it obviously brings to mind would be like um, Avital Ronell, I think. Avital, the complet professor at NYU who I think was lesbian identified but fell in love with a gay male student who did not reciprocate 
lo and behold. Um, and that became a whole sort of one of these women me too stories. So it's a little like that, except mm -hmm. that the men do reciprocate. And she seems to, by all accounts, get a lot of, uh, how's the, what's the non-graphic way of putting it? Get a lot of menfolk. Tale. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was thinking more like the yeah. I, I couldn't think of how to put this in a non-graphic way, but yes, wieners. And I think what she looks like physically is. <laughs> I think what she looks like physically matters, okay? Because she looks extremely dorky. She looks like an extremely geeky, like a, a an, like a really geeky girl, but who is also a middle-aged woman. Right. So like and if you see other pictures of her, she dresses kind of in these like bright colors, almost like a toddler. But she's, you know, a grown woman. So she does not look physically like the sort of woman associated with woman who gets a lot of action. Right. Is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that she's yes. ugly. I mean that she it's a, a lot of this, I would say, is about self-presentation. You know, how she would look if she did her hair differently. It's not not to do with anything like that her features aren't symmetrical enough. I have no idea. I, it's that she doesn't look like a woman who's going for the kind of sexy look. It, sort of, it's like an exaggeration of the yeah. opposite. She doesn't look like she's trying to attract men. Yeah, no. yeah. I wouldn't say that she looks like she's trying to attract women necessarily. She looks like somebody who's trying to be a philosopher, which, you know, I, you know, I've had friends in academic philosophy who, like, that's not strange for that world at all. So mm -hmm. um, even though like she probably somebody like this would not do super well on the like mainstream, I would imagine, sort of dating <laughs> circuit um, in that world, I don't think that would be strange. And I think if, if anything, if she looked, you know, like a sort of conventional, you know, hair blown dry type of woman, I don't think I think people would just not take her seriously. Right. She wouldn't be able to attract. It's sort of like that Twilight Zone episode um, where uh, this woman is having plastic surgery to like look normal, to look attractive. And uh, she's heavily bandaged throughout. And then at the end, they take off the bandages and she's actually like got a really beautiful, normal face. But then they zoom out and it turns out that everybody around her, including the doctors and so on, have like these horrible pig faces. <laughs> um, and that's like like that planet that that takes place on that's basically um a, like a microcosm for the beauty standards in a philosophy department effectively yes um but <laughs> I'm, going I'm gonna go with it too but yeah before my terrible internet cuts out again i have to say that there was like a part of this that really jumped out at me namely the part that i actually read closely but it's where um so, da, da, da. so um she okay sorry okay i'm reading now from rachel Aviv's article news of the divorce reached her students and agnes worried that they would feel disoriented or betrayed okay so these are her undergraduate these are undergraduate philosophy students okay where she gives them a talk okay and that about the talk is called on the kind of love into which one falls and her ex-husband um gives her feedback on this okay and the here is some of what she says in this talk, okay? Six and a half weeks ago, I fell in love for the, for the first time. You did not think I was a person who would subject her children to divorce. You did not think I was a person who would be married to someone she had not fallen in love with. You are not sure whether you know me anymore. Okay, end quote. Okay, she told her students that she felt she had a professional obligation to clarify the situation. Okay, so, whoa, a lot, a lot, okay? 
<laughs> picturing so, the students sitting here through this, like looking at each other uncomfortably, like, okay. Exactly. <laughs> is this over? When is the old lady going to stop talking so we can um, go do whatever it is we're going to do? Um, you know? Yes. I would have like everything about this, right? Like there's the, obviously like there's the involvement of the ex-husband who's being kind of kicked while he's down, you know, and who like, she lives with him still, even though, cause they're like raising their kids together, whatever. There are a lot of, strange things with the marriage but that's not what I'm talking about what I can't get over is that she has the audacity to assume that her that undergraduate students have formed an opinion either way about whether she's somebody who would get divorced whether this professor like why would they care like I'm sorry this is just it's a level like it's not I mean narcissism sort of like undersells what this is like it just seems like delusional the idea that anybody who's your student cares you know like it doesn't make any sense like undergraduate students these are like 19 year olds what do they care if their you know old lady professor is married or not or is divorced or has three husbands or whatever you know like I don't think they're really paying any attention and just this idea that people are sitting there forming these intense conceptions of her personally is just like that just blew my mind. And also that she's more concerned, it almost sounds like about what these students think than what her children think. But that's maybe harder to mm -hmm. say for sure, because maybe that's like just not, you know, in the piece. But yeah, I just I couldn't get over this. The, the stuff with the students just seemed bizarre. Oh, God. Well, I mean, the idea that they, you know, that they had formed these intense conceptions of her personally. Um, well, now they are. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you certainly made sure that that would now happen. Like, I mean, this is in this in many ways sort of the definition of like a self-fulfilling prophecy but i also think this sense um you know on the part of callard that her life is so incredibly fascinating and she's doing something like so unique and so different and philosophical in a way that like that merits this um endless discussion and i do mean endless because this article is like i mean I guess, you know, I guess the writer of this article is a real person. It's not just Agnes Collard, like, philosophizing under, under like, a sock puppet account. <laughs> a lot of people have, have wondered about this. Yes, yes. No, real New Yorker writer. But, yeah. oh, my God. Okay, like, so we're going to we're gonna leave a link to this piece in the show notes. And I would say pour yourself a, a beverage, like, but a large one before you read it because it's going to take an hour. This article goes on and on and on. Like, there is this obvious sense you know on the part of Collard certainly but I guess also this writer who I really would I'm very curious about her relationship like how did this piece come into being that this is like the most fascinating relationship in the history of relationships and like all anybody could possibly want is to read about its intricacies and minutia at like the greatest possible length it's like a, a fascinating artifact of two at least people who have become thoroughly detached from reality in terms of understanding what makes like what kind of thing a, a normal person wants to read i feel like even a normal new yorker reader is looking at this and being like what is going on this is really long it's like why are we talking about socrates um yeah i mean delusional is is a good word for it because it 
it does present this relationship like this, which, you know, ultimately like a very solipsistic decision on Collard's part to, you know, to leave her husband for this grad student and then, you know, to kind of insist, um, you know, for the, the rest of her slash their lives on like unpacking it in this way where it's like, well, what does this mean for me as a philosopher? Like, what do you mean to me as a philosopher? Like, and everybody gets this treatment, including her children. Um, but yeah, it's like the, that they think that this is going to be so fascinating to the average person. I, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm like glad it exists because it's so funny, but also yeah. what? I mean, I think it, obviously people are clicking on it and reading it or clicking on it and skimming it or thinking or reading a paragraph of it and being like, huh, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think it's very much like the only novelty here is that it's a woman in the traditionally male role of, you know, philandering philosopher, king, queen, or non-binary queen as the case may be in a different, <laughs> totally different um, situation. We don't have time to talk no, about. tragically, no. But yeah, I mean, this, this just like, that's the only novelty I see here. So my thought about this was really that like, in honor of today being International Women's Day, apparently, per various things I have seen posted, maybe the point is that there's something interesting about that sometimes a thing that you would expect a man to do, a woman does. Does it mean that it's a wonderful thing when a woman does it? No. Does it mean that there is hope for the Agnes Callard looking women of the world that they too can have 50 different um, you know, lovers? Uh, maybe if they are professional philosophers, maybe not if they aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing is like, it's not just, is this, you know, somehow moral when a woman does it, but even just, is it interesting? And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe the jury is out on that because this article does exist and yet, yeah. um, but I do have one more thought, uh, you know, when sort of the... Well, I mean, one of the more interesting parts of this very, very long piece in between, like, the discussions of Aristotle and Socrates and so on is that um, Callard and her new husband, uh, they had a baby and then they moved in with the previous husband and her children from her first marriage. And now they're, like, a thruple, what, except that they're not a thruple. Like, she's not involved romantically with the former husband. Um, but they are something. They're a unit and um, I think that you, Phoebe, can take this as inspiration um, when you do decide to leave your husband for Bon Jovi, uh, uh, that you guys could actually live together in a, not necessarily a polyamorous triad, but certainly like a very Jovi Bovi <laughs> kind of arrangement. I don't think we'd be, I don't think we'd be so Jovi Bovial about things with only the one bathroom, though. <laughs> I think that would be an obstacle. Yeah. Well, Bon Jovi's got a lot of money. He can, he That's can right. buy he you guys can. a new bathroom. I, I would think so with any faucet we want. Um, has this been Feminine Chaos? It sure has. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye.